Um, hey, I'm excited to open the Word of God with, with us this morning. I just, man, I hope that you received that as a gift, um, a time of a lot of space and a lot of quiet and a time of reflecting, a time to get to hear what God has done in the lives of some of the people in our church family. This is, um, we're going to have stories like this um, all through the Christmas season, and it's just scratching the total surface of all the things that God is doing in our church family all the time. You guys don't get to hear all the stories. I don't get to hear all the stories, but just God is constantly working, and we need to be reminded of this. Um, as we come into the Christmas season, our theme is Emmanuel. It's God with us. That's what um, Emmanuel means. It literally means God with us. It's a Hebrew word that that's just literally what it spells out, God with us. And I feel like when we come to Christmas uh, time and the Christmas season, it is easy to be like, okay, when, when, I'm, when things are great and um, I'm feeling really like in the Christmas mood and I'm, I'm worshiping and just my heart is there, it's easy to feel God is with us and everything's going great. The problem is, is that during the Christmas season, there, there's a couple of things that happen. One is often we come to the Christmas season and it's like things are more broken than ever, okay? So some of you just had a lovely Thanksgiving with family, and some of you had just had a hellish Thanksgiving with family. Like, it just, it's the same table, it's the same, like, it's family, but it means different things to different people based on how broken things are, who drinks a little too much, or whatever happens, right? It just can all fall apart, and Christmas can be the time where, uh, man, everything just is fantastic, or everything kind of falls apart, where our loneliness comes to the surface more than any other time of year. Depression is really high during the holidays. Um, and so there's these, these difficult things that we face. And I don't know how you're at, you are this year. I pray that all of you are like, man, best Christmas ever. This is going to be amazing. Um, but I'm willing to bet that a lot of you are in a spot of, this is hard. This is like the hardest Christmas ever, or maybe just a, a particularly hard one in a long stream of hard ones. And I want us to be able to remember that in the midst of those, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, applies just as much in the hard seasons as in the good seasons. The way we're going to explore that uh, this Christmas is um, we're, we're obviously we're sharing stories of how God's been there with us in these times. Um, I'm going to also look at some Old Testament stories. And so we're going to go back uh, today, and over the next few weeks, we're going to keep marching through Old Testament stories of God with us, because I want us to see that, that Jesus was Emmanuel. He was God with us in a very unique and powerful sense. But God has always been Emmanuel. He's always been with us. And so I want to take us all the way back to Genesis. So if you have your Bible, Genesis 1, we're going to start in the very beginning. And, um, and what my prayer in all this is that we see um, the normal things, the, the familiar things of Christmas with a little bit of a fresh light and hopefully a, a reminder of I mean, how good God is and how much he desires to be with us. So in the beginning, the Bible starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we're invited to see in the first few words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Like we stop there and we just think of God himself and there's nothing that exists. There's nothing at all other than God who is, who is triune. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit somehow always existing, somehow one and yet three, somehow in this community within themselves and totally sufficient within themselves, not, not needing anything, like not needing us or not needing a physical world or anything else, but deciding out of the abundance of their love and joy and peace and hope, uh, it, deciding out of the abundance of that to create a world. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and we have that summary statement from the end of Genesis chapter 1, where it says um, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
So day by day, God's speaking during that first week. Just let there be light, and there's light, right? Let there be um, animals, there's animals. Like just he keeps speaking and creating, and everything comes into existence. But he's creating this world that he's saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And at the very end of Genesis 1, God saw everything that he made, and he says, this is very good. There's this, there's this um, the theological term is creational goodness to the world around us, where even though things are broken and we experience hard things, there's a creational goodness in the things that are all around us. And so we can walk out of here, especially in an area like this that we live in, and we can just see the goodness of the things that God has made all around us. And we're going to experience it all, all Christmas season long. You're going you're to feel the cold in the air, and that's, that's a reminder of the goodness of God and how he made the world. You're going to see the stars. You're going to enjoy a hot beverage. You're going to like enjoy family and friendship and things like that. And these are all pieces of this creational goodness of a good world that God made. Lovely, beautiful. And I want us to see the world literally does not exist without Emmanuel. There's no such thing as a world without God. God made the world because of who he is. And so all of it is dependent on him being here, being with us, being in it, and through the entire thing. Now, one verse in between here that I want us to look at, a couple verses. Verse 26, God's created all his plants and animal life in the world, and he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so here's God in this perfect world making the entire thing. And in the midst of it, with all the plant and animal life, he's saying, in this world which I've created and over which I'm ruling, I want to create someone who's going to be like me. That's what it means to be in the image and the likeness of God. That in some sense, as God creates human beings and puts us in this world, he's making another being that's like himself which I have to say is a huge, huge honor and a huge, crazy responsibility to think that we were specifically made to be like God, to carry his image into the world around us. And there's a lot of theological speculation about what does that mean. Maybe it's the fact that we're personal creatures. Maybe it's the fact that we're intelligent creatures, um, some of us. And um, maybe it's the fact that we're moral, again, some of us, right? So what does it mean that we're like God? Really, it just means that somehow we reflect him to the world. But one, one great argument, um, Dorothy Sayers writes that, wh what do we know about God by this point in the story? All we've seen God do at this point in the story is create. He's just spoken. He's created. He's made things. And now he's saying, I want someone else that's going to be like me. So what does it mean in this context to be like God? It means that we ourselves are creators as well, that we are creative. Um, and that fits because what God tells human beings to do is like have dominion over the world, like rule over it in this loving way, in the same way that God lovingly rules over the world, go out into this world and care for it. Like, like make it what it should be. Care for it. Tend it. Um, all those things, I think, are this beautiful picture, and I think the key is God is doing all of this in Genesis 1. He's in the world. The world exists because of him. He's in and through everything, and then he makes human beings. He makes us with the idea that we're going to be his co-workers, his partners in this beautiful thing that he's doing in the world. So I just want us to picture at the beginning of it all, before there was ever a Christmas or anything like that, Emmanuel was just reality. God with us was just how things were. God is in and through all of it, and he invites us into this thing that he's doing. It's beautiful. 
and it stays beautiful for at least a little bit longer. In Genesis chapter 2, um, in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, those trees, of course, at the end become like really significant in the story as we go on. But in the meantime, what we're seeing is God is creating this like perfect setting um, for humanity. And, and in the midst of it, we get the sense, okay, God's going to create humans in his image. And then how does he do it? Here he actually does it. He reaches in to the ground, into the dirt itself, into the dust, and he shapes a human being. Now, that's, that's lovely, like the thought of that. Because we're given dominion over the earth, right? We're supposed to rule over it and care for it. But the reality is that we are the earth, right? That's what he used to make us. And so in, it's a, this reminder that we're not better than the stuff that we're ruling over. We're not better than everything that God made. We're actually part of it. And God formed us out of this creation, out of this dust that he made. But then he does something significant. Yes, we are earthly, we're human, we're creatures. But then also God comes down to, to this inanimate man that he had made out of the dust, and God breathes his life into the man. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, scripture, we're told, uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3, we're told Scripture is like so valuable because Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It means like exhaled by God, and therefore it's this powerful, living thing. And, and we're meant to have this reverence for the Word of God because it's breathed out by God. Well, here at the beginning of it all, here's this human creature that's shaped out of the dust. And so in one sense, totally earthly, totally lowly, uh, we're just made out of dust, and yet God himself breathes his life into us. And so here we stand alive with the very life of God, with the very breath of God inside of us and invited again to be with God in the world. God made this world to, for himself to enjoy, for himself to be delighted and glorified in, and then he makes us in, in with the same purpose of keep creating in this world, keep caring for it, keep tending it, and let's enjoy this whole thing together. It's a really, really beautiful partnership that God sets up. And, and he creates this garden in the middle of the whole thing. Garden, just this beautiful place, literally just like a paradise for human beings to enjoy with God. Um, a beautiful picture. The trees that are there are, they're pleasant to the sight and they're good for food. So they're both beautiful and they're functional. It's everything that our hearts have ever longed for is to be in this place of just beauty and everything's good and everything works and everything is at peace. And, um, and we are just called to be in that setting with God. So, Stepping back again, the idea of Emmanuel. Man, that, that is what the world is. This world is a gift from God. It, it's made to be good in the same way that he is good and to, to be this place for him to enjoy. And then he makes us and puts us there with his, our, his very breath in our lungs. We get to experience just living in his good and his beautiful world with him. And everything is meant for that. And man, our hearts long for it. It's the, it's the reality of Emmanuel. He, he gives man the job. Uh, I want to say this too. In verse 15, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Our job is work with God at caring for these things that he's made, and it's beautiful. But the story takes a negative turn. Every good story does take a negative turn before it gets better. And here we're told, I'm going to skip a couple of slides here. Okay. Here we're told that in the midst of all this beauty in this garden, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
Now, there's enormous theological speculation over what is this serpent doing here, okay? Like, why did God ever make snakes, period? I, like, that's a good question. Love to ask him someday. Um, what's going on with this serpent? How did he get here? Everything's good. There's no explanation for how he enters the story. There's some things later in the story that might explain it, and we can um, talk shop and speculate on that later. But for now, we just see into the good world God created. Here comes this malevolent force into it. And this serpent, um, he comes in and he says to the woman, did God actually say? So he begins to cast doubt. He begins to question the goodness of God. He begins to question the words of God. He begins to question, question the intent and the rule of God. And here he is speaking all this. And then we find in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's read a little bit further here. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And, the Lord God, uh, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you? that you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And we'll pause there. So into the goodness of the world that God made, into this place where Emmanuel is not a concept, but is just reality. God is with human beings. There's even this hint in here of, they, they hear the sound of God walking uh, in the garden in the cool of the day. There's this implication that maybe this is normal. Like maybe this is what life is like. That, that like in the midst of this garden, they're just like walking and talking with God, which is crazy. But that's, that's Emmanuel. That's God with us. It's, it's what they're meant to experience there. But in the midst of it, the serpent comes and begins to dismantle the goodness. Begins to use the goodness of the creation to pull people away from God. So you can see, like, Satan doesn't have any other tools to use other than, well, did God really say this? He's, he's pointing to the words that God spoke that are good words, that are meant for our health and our benefit. He uses them, twists them to distort our relationship with God. He uses the stuff, the trees, in the, 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 the woman is seeing that, that man, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's good for food, right? That's what God had said about it. And he's using these things to twist it. And what is basically happening is this entire story has been about God's abundant provision for, human, for, for humanity. Adam and Eve, man, God is doing everything to just care for them, to breathe life into them, to create this paradise for them. Everything is about provision. And in that setting, nothing changes except the serpent comes in and begins turning it from a story of provision into a story of uh, oppression, of constraint. Of, of Is God really trying to provide for you or is he trying to keep you from something else? And he twists the whole thing. He's picturing it this week like um, a house. And we, we are blessed with a lovely house. And in our house, like um, there's... There's the walls and the roof. It provides safety for us. It provides shelter for us. It provides a, def a defined space where we can like make a home and enjoy life together and, and, and host and care for people. So all that is, is inherent in us having a home. Um, but you could step back from there and say, boy, these four walls sure kind of keep me in and this roof keeps us from seeing the sky. And so you could choose and for the sake of freedom, living free, you could choose to be homeless and go wander and be outside of that, right? But I think that is the, the choice that the serpent is given in there. Is this house a good thing? Do you really want to be bound in by these walls? Like, wouldn't you rather just go wherever you want, whenever you want, and not be constrained to a thing? And in that way, just questions the goodness of God. And so what happens? Um, they eat the apple, and in doing that, what they're basically doing is 
They're rejecting God's commands. It's like they have the reality of Emmanuel. They have the reality of God with us. Man, God is here with us, but what they choose is I want, instead of having God with us, I want us without God. I, I want to decide for myself. I, I got to hear you saying this is good, this is better, this is what you want. Um, but I want to be the one that decides what's good for me and how I'm going to live and what's going to give me life and what's going to give meaning to my life. This is like actually the exact same journey we just went on in Ecclesiastes. This is what the preacher was doing all through Ecclesiastes is saying, okay, I've got my, my Hebrew tradition uh, back here. I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to figure out how am I going to find life? Is it going to be through pleasure? Is it going to be through wisdom? Is it going to be through accomplishment? And he takes all these journeys and finally at the end of it finds, you know what? I want to go back to the start and realize it actually is about dependence on God once again. Trusting him, listening to him, fearing him. And so he finds himself back there. This is the exact question because Adam and Eve, it said at the beginning of the last or the end of the last chapter, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Um, and so they're just, they're there and there's this incredible authenticity and vulnerability of just like, this is who I am. And, um, and yet there's no shame. There's no fear in that because there's love and acceptance. And yet when they took the apple, when they disobeyed God, when they stepped away from the reality of Emmanuel, tried to move themselves away from God with us, what they began to experience immediately is a sense of fear, a sense of shame, a sense of, like, they, they themselves changed. The, the environment didn't change. It was still paradise. But they themselves changed, and they begin to sense this shame and this fear from the people that are around them. And so this is the reality of life without God, is it begins to put in all these doubts and these fears and this loneliness and this sense of alienation. All of it came um, as they stepped away from God. I want to share this, uh, this painting. It's a, it's a classic painting by Edward Munch, and um, it's called The Scream. It's not a good Christmas thing, but we're going to do it nonetheless. Um, and you've, you've probably seen it, but he paints this thing, and it's, it's, it's meant to be really deeply disturbing. Um, he he, he kind of, on, on the back of one of them, he wrote, um, like, through nature, he heard this, like, eternal scream crying out. And it's like this sense of, the, it's a pretty lovely scene, or it could be, of, of a pier and, and water and everything. But it's like, all of a sudden, he just sees, like, this, this world is a place of darkness and alienation. And I had this vision of this moment where Adam and Eve are, are finding themselves, like, hiding from God. Okay, they're in the garden. And what's happened? The garden is still paradise. Everything is still beautiful and lovely, and everything is the way God intended, except they themselves have chosen to separate themselves from God. And this is the one page in the Bible where they step away from God, and they choose sin, and all of a sudden, the weight of sin comes down, and there's nothing yet that God has done to redeem humans from their sin. This is like this brief but really long moment of they ate the apple, and imagine them just for the first time, the place around them. It feels dark, and it feels scary, and it feels like they're, they're ashamed, they're afraid, they're hiding from God himself. There's this, this it's like, almost like it turns into an Alf, Alfred Hitchcock film or something like that, where they're just like, it's all of a sudden a horror movie, and they're screaming like this. I'll take um, the screamer away from you there. <laughs> and there's this moment of, okay, we ruined it all. Paradise is lost. We've destroyed it all. We chose us without God, and instantly they're seeing, I don't like this. This is no good. They're trying to make clothes for themselves. They're trying to hide when God comes. And, and man, this whole thing is this is what sin does. Is it breaks it down. Sin is us hiding from God. It's us running from God. 
We see the community that, that God has built, this, this beautiful community that God's made where he you know, took Eve out of the side of Adam um, and created this helper that's perfect for him. There's this community. It's not good for man to be alone. And now all of a sudden we see them going at each other and they're pointing the fingers at like, well, she gave it to me to, to eat. And, and they're turning into Satan, who's the accuser, and they're pointing fingers at each other and it all falls apart. But here's what I want us to see. The world's beautiful. It's a gift from God. We, we ourselves are glorious, like made in the image of God. It's amazing. We're, we're meant for Emmanuel. We're meant for God with us. And yet when we chose us without God instead of God with us, when we chose that, there's this darkness to it. But here's the thing. Here's what I want us to see. God never left. Human beings tried for us without God, but God would not allow it. Here it is in the exact same verses that we just saw. Verses 8 and 9. What happened? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now they went and, heard, and they hid from him, but no sooner had they eaten from this apple than they hear, what, what, like, who's coming? It's the father in the parable of the prodigal son coming out to run and meet his children. There they are, alienated from God, but here he is pursuing them, coming after them, wanting to be with them. We, we see in verse 9, it's the Lord God calling to him, saying, where are you? So no, if you think of the... Um, Think of the sounds of it. Sometimes it's helpful to switch senses. So instead of just um, looking and reading, instead of just picturing it in your mind, imagine what your, your ears would have heard if you had been there with Adam and Eve. There's the crunch of the apple, okay? You might have heard some, some rustling of fig leaves or, or their trees as they're kind of making their clothes and hiding from God, this whole frantic thing. But what you would have heard would be the footsteps of God somehow, right? They hear the sound of God walking in the cool of the day. It's God coming to them. They would have heard the voice of God calling out to them, inviting them, where are you? Come back to me. At the moment when they try to separate themselves from God, saying, I don't know. I think I want to be the one to decide. They had to live with their shame and their fear for mere moments before God is there, immediately coming to them, not waiting for them, not waiting for them to pick it up. And, and here's, here's the beautiful thing. Even as God curses them from here, later in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, God curses like the ground and there's like the thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow, like work is, is toilsome. Thanks a lot, Adam. Um, uh, childbirth becomes painful. Thanks a lot, Eve, right? Like everything's like broken. Those are some pretty horrible things. But even in the midst of that, God's talking about the offspring, the, the, the seed that comes from the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. There's this promise of ultimate Emmanuel. He's going to come. But what I want us to see is God didn't have to be begged to come and be Emmanuel. He didn't have to be coerced. He didn't, he didn't wait. We didn't have to do anything to get him there. God actually is Emmanuel. Like that is who he is. He is God with us. And, and so there's nothing that we can do that's going to separate ourselves from him. He comes to us. In the moment of shame and separation, in the moment of rejection from God, he's coming to be with us and he's right there. This is how he describes himself as the God who is with us, the God that comes to us, the God that will not leave us alone. This is who God is. Psalm 8 gives this beautiful picture of, that's very similar to all this. It, it talks about how when I look at the, the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? And he talks about how God's clo uh, uh, crowned us with glory and honor. And so there's this picture of like, I look at the creation and it's so good and it's so vast and it's amazing. And I think like, who am I before God that, that you should care about me at all? Marilyn Robinson, one of my favorite authors, she says uh, about this psalm, if, if the great heavens are the work of God's fingers, what is small and mortal man? The poem answers its own question this way. Man is crowned with honor and glory. He is in a singular sense what God has made him. 
because of the dignity God has conferred upon him, splendor of a higher order like that of the angels. The Hebrew scriptures everywhere concede, yes, foolish, yes, guilty, yes, weak, yes, sad and bewildered, yes, resistant to cherishing and rebellious against expectation, and yes, forever insecure. How then is God's dignity manifest on humanity? Surely it is this, that God is mindful of him and that he visits him. This is, after all, the major assertion of the whole literature. What is man is asked in awe, that God should be intrigued or enchanted by him or loyal to him. This is, this is so huge for me, this idea that when we're in our loneliness, when we're in our shame, when we're in our fear, and we're taking steps back from God, we have to see what is it that makes us special. I'm a, I'm a Mr. Rogers devotee, and I believe to the core that like each and every one of us is special, okay? What makes us special? I promise you it is not your achievements. It, it, is, it is not the things that make you more attractive or more wealthy or more skilled than anybody else. It's simply this, what Marilyn Robbins said. It's the fact that God chooses to give us honor. It's the fact that God chooses to come to us. It's the fact that God wants to be with us. And it's not us coercing. It's not us arm twisting. It's not us doing the right liturgy or the right incantations or anything else. It's simply this. God is Emmanuel. God is God with us. That is who he is. That is what his heart is all about. And he made us and he made this space. And yes, we have blown it. And we do it again and again and again. But man, God keeps coming back to us. And we're going to see story after story of God coming back to be with his people, God present even in the darkest moments, even in the fear, even in the pain, even in the shame, all of it, God keeps coming back to us. I feel like in our lives, we're, we're like trying to recreate paradise. I think sometimes we do that with Christmas, right? There was like these childhood memories of Christmas and what it was like, and man, like Christmas will either live up to that or it won't, you know? Like it'll be a great year this Christmas because the presents are right and family's great and, and like everything's coming together, um, or it'll be terrible, and it's going to be because of some standard in the past that we're trying to relive. And I think the call in Genesis 3 is not to first recreate paradise, recreate the Garden of Eden so that we can be back and good with God. But no, it's to remember that even though we lost paradise, and even though that was gone, in the instant that we lost it, God was there. Emmanuel didn't change. He was there with us when things were good. He's there with us when things are bad. And he has a plan. He has a, he has a he has a whole, a whole um, reality ready for us in which things fall apart. Like, like I said, the, the, the holidays can be really lonely. They can be amazing, but they can be really lonely. And we're so prone to disappointment when our expectations are high. And when we're put next to family like we often are in the holidays, that can be really difficult. Or when, we're, when family is absent, right? When there's a seat that's at the table that's absent, whether it's because someone is choosing not to visit us or whether because they're too busy for us or whether because, like, maybe we've lost them. Maybe they've died. Like, the, the holidays are hard, and they carry all sorts of emotions for all of us. But I want us to know in the midst of it, the point is not to fix it, not to get back to what we thought we had once. The fact is to recognize, man, Emmanuel is with us. I would love, as we come back in um, week after week, here's this uh, candle lit right here. And I want us to remember, as we come back in, man, that's the candle of love, and it was lit by the Oxfords. It was lit by them because there was a time in their life when they were, like, hurting and they were on the edge, and God showed his love for them. Um, man, and he, God, it was God with us, right? And he, and he used us, like, as a church family to come alongside of them. But it's God with us in the hope. I want us to see that. And as these candles get lit week after week, just reminding, seeing it build, the fact that, man, God is with us even in the hardest times. I want to close with this. This all happened in the garden. And it was Emmanuel 
in a garden. There's a theme of God being with his people in the gardens throughout uh, scripture. So there's another garden uh, thousands of years later in Gethsemane where Jesus goes and he prays with his disciples um, before he offers his life and sacrifice for his people. And there's Jesus like praying, God, don't let me have to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. It's, it's Emmanuel in the garden once again um, offering himself to the Lord, uh, offering himself for our sake. There's another garden three days later uh, where the tomb of Jesus was and he raises from the dead and his disciples find him for the first time in the garden. He appears to the women, right? And he's just there with them. It's Emmanuel in the garden. Once again, it's like he's creating this new thing in the midst of it, almost like hand, beginning to hand Eden back to them. Finally, the Bible ends with this garden once again. Um, the last pages of scripture, it's back to a garden. We see the tri- tree of life there once again. It's a beautiful picture with all this. Uh, but now the garden covers the entire earth, and it's this place where God is just with us. We don't even need a sun because God himself is the light of that place. It's a beautiful picture of it all. And so as we enter this uh, Christmas season, and we, we officially have kicked it off now, it's Christmas time, I want us to just process the ways that we try to hide ourselves from Emmanuel. The places that, man, we're a little too ashamed to let him in. Places where we know our hearts are prone towards pain or alienation in this season. And let's just invite Emmanuel. I want us to do that right now. I want us to do it while we sing. Invite God's presence with us. Um, I also want to challenge us that, man, Christmas gets hectic and your schedule gets really full really fast. I want you to take some time to practice Emmanuel. Practice God with us. Give him some time in your schedule, in your day. Wake up a little earlier. Go to bed a little later. Um, Take a walk or something like that. And just let's acknowledge, okay, God, everything's not perfect. Everything's still broken, but I know that you're uh, with me in that. Um, We're going to sing a couple more songs, and then let's, uh, let's pray right now as we offer that to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the ways that you care for us. Thank you for the reality that you are with us. That, Lord, that you've always been with us. And, Lord, I know that I am prone to wander. Lord, that my heart is so prone towards apathy, and um, I can feel so distant from you and, and, and feel distant from the people that I love. Lord, thank you for this reminder that you are always there. You're always walking towards us. You're always calling out our names. And I pray that uh, right now in this space and as we walk through this holiday season, I pray that we would be sensitive to hearing your voice. We'd actually hear you when you call. We'd actually come, uh, respond, that you'd find us in our alienation, in our loneliness, in our despair, in our fear, in our shame. And Lord, would you just continue to breathe that life into us and over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.